I saw your be good baker running by again the other day, says I to old Mr. Brennan. Ah, yes, says he. I've never seen her stand still. And she's running rings around the rest of us with our Brennan's be good bread. Only 60 calories a slice. 60 calories, says I. That's just a whole meal, is it? No, says he. It's the whole meal, the whole grain, and the waste. 60 calories a slice and high in fiber, whatever way it slices. That's why anything baked is better with Brennan's. Today's bread today. Hey there. Enjoying the episode? Pretty good, right? Before we get back to it, how about a quick break to share your thoughts and win big? You could bag yourself a 500 euro one for all voucher. Ready to enter? Head to mypodcastfeedback.com, pop in the code TECH, and fill out the short survey. Tune across right now? No problem. You can also find the survey link in the show notes. Go on, make your opinion heard, and good luck. This is an Irish independent podcast. Would you allow Elon Musk to plant a chip in your brain? Well, this is what the embattled entrepreneur's latest company, Neuralink, aims to do to let people use mind control. In a moment, we'll be talking to MIT Technology Review's Antonio Regalado about it. But first, Tabitha Monahan. It hasn't been a quiet time for Elon Musk, has it? No, it hasn't at all. All his own doing, as usual. Obviously, we had the, I would say, infamous now poll that he put up earlier in the week and then was at the World Cup and then was in the air while all of this was being decided. His fate was being decided by over 17 million people. And they told him to go. 57% told him to go. 57% told him to go. And he said, careful what you wish for because he might get it. He did. He, he said, careful what you wish for. And the latest after 48 hours of mixed messages is that he said he will resign when he finds somebody stupid enough to take on the job. As soon as I find someone foolish enough to take the job. I mean, I don't know about you, but that sounds like someone who never wants to go in the first place. I mean, if you were advertising a job and you saw that, would you apply? No. It must be a crushing psychological defeat for him to put up a poll on your own service among your own users for the company you spent $44 billion on for them to reject you. I I would have assumed he thought that that was going to be the result anyway. Maybe that's me outside the Elon Musk bubble thinking people are definitely going to vote yes on that. Do you think he thought that he was going to, the, the overwhelming majority was going to be no there? No, I think he thought they would vote yes. Really? Yes. I think he genuinely believes what his kitchen cabinet of tech bros tell him, that he is the greatest entrepreneur in the history of the world and that the people love him. But he also thinks that nobody else can do the job better than him. That's absolutely true. He's convinced of that. that and the, the quote or the tweet that he put out, no one wants the job who can actually keep Twitter alive. Essentially, I'm the person who can keep this, this thing afloat, who's going to transform it. Nobody else is around to do it. And now he's going to have to eat in his words a bit, isn't he? He is going to have to eat his words. And he already looks weaker, as do all of the servile, slavish accounts that are are following them. And if you're listening, uh, servile, slavish accounts, a <laughs> uh, big wave from me. Thanks for you know giving me a hard time over the last uh, 24 hours for questioning your savior. Um, but the fact is, he's making a mess of things Twitter. He's a great man. He's 
a fantastic entrepreneur, Tesla at SpaceX. What he has done will be remembered for many, many years. And if he fell under the bus in the morning, that would be his legacy, not the monumental screw ups that he has made of Twitter or the unprecedented fall in value of the company um, or the fact that he can't find a CEO to run it because they know that it would be such a poison chalice that even if he was the janitor, he would end up calling the shots. He doesn't want to find a CEO either, though, frankly. No, he doesn't want to find a CEO. He believes he's saving civilization. He genuinely believes that. He has said that many, many times, that running Twitter is is saving uh, civilization. This is a car crash, though. And isn't that this what we're watching right now? Is this what was, I think, a fantastic social media platform? I think coming to an end. But what do you think? Do you, I mean, we've again, we have spoken so many times on this podcast about this and you've asked the likes of Mark Little, etc. about what they think the future of Twitter is. He called it a death spiral. He did call it a death spiral. Would you agree now? Where where do you think we're at? Are we going to see Twitter right in five now, years? Right now, on the trajectory that Elon Musk is taking it with his current ethos, it is in a death spiral. It literally is in a death spiral. So, he himself admitted this week that revenue next year is tracking toward $3 billion, even with his $8 per month Twitter blue. Last year, it was $5 billion. He has managed somehow to crater the company's revenue so that it will only take in roughly half of what it took in last year. That's catastrophic. It's, well, I mean, he'll either have to fire more people or he'll... I, I don't know what he's going to do to make up that money, um, but it's it's a really bad way to to run a company. And more than that, the, the way that he's done it, the way that he's driven advertisers away, outside of a few hardcore founders, I, there are very few people now who publicly have anything very nice to say about the way that Elon Musk is running Twitter. They're still complimentary about him for Tesla and SpaceX, as I have just been uh, uh, about him with Tesla and SpaceX. But uh, but no, this is this is dreadful. Okay, so we've the yes, okay, revenue is down, advertising is they're fleeing. What about users? I mean, at the end of the day, we're both still on it. Mm. I'm still using it. You're still using it. We're in it. the bubble. Okay, yes, we're in the bubble. We're watching the car crash. Yes, it's hard not to. I know, and it's fair to say that Twitter is still useful for us for other purposes. Um, because it still is where a number of stories will be discussed and sometimes broken, but less and less so, I'm finding. I am seeing very influential accounts that would have given me leads and signals on things. They're either tweeting less or they're, they've decided to leave Twitter altogether. I mean, I think the low point for Elon Musk and his fanboys came when Paul Graham, who's the Y Combinator founder, was stupidly suspended for apps for doing absolutely nothing. Um, other than saying that he had had it with Elon Musk's Twitter. This was a guy who had supported uh, Elon Musk's uh, takeover of Twitter. And that was the first time I saw uh, a lot of tech uh, founders really change their mind uh, on it. But I do find that Twitter is being used less. It's still important for, for our work and I, it's not going to fold. There's another desperate move. Well, what I think is a desperate move on the on the part of the decision makers and Twitter, Elon Musk in particular, banning the promotion of rivals on mm. the platform. I mean, what kind of a decision so was that? Stupid. It it was this. It was, it was like somebody who's doing their junior search and they're asked to sort of write an essay on how to beat your competitors and just say ban links to them. I mean, it's. It was such a stupid policy to put out. It was very childish, like very childish. Yeah. And then, and then they ended up banning uh, 
a load of people because of it, including some prominent journalists, then they had to roll back on it. Then they had to say, well, we'll only ban accounts if their primary purpose is to promote another website. Now, even that's a weird policy yeah. because I'm on Twitter at Adrian Weckler. But really, the main reason I'm on Twitter is, I mean, yes, to discuss issues, but also to drive work towards yeah. independent.ie and towards the Irish Independent. Yeah. In other words, I'm enjoying Twitter. I hope I contribute to Twitter. But really, the main purpose is for our own media property. It's a moronic policy. It was. Absolutely and it, moronic. And it didn't even just stretch to the likes of Mastodon or Truth Social, Donald Trump's platform. Mastodon, yeah. Mastodon yeah. sorry, or Truth Social. I wish there was a platform called Mastodon. Mastodor, Mastodon. <laughs> um, Facebook and Instagram were also included in that. Yeah. Which, I mean, everybody has a Twitter and a Facebook and an Instagram. It's not it's like so people insecure. are choosing one or the other. It's basically admitting that you can't survive if you have competition from those platforms. Exactly. It's it's so insecure and it's so weak and it's not something you associate with Elon Musk. Elon Musk is the guy who comes into an industry, takes on the heavyweights and beats them at their own game. He's not the guy who has to build a giant wall to stop people leaving the country, which is what he's become. Mm. I mean, it, look, it's, I mean, all jokes aside, it is actually really sad because this is a guy whose reputation was as the greatest innovator of our time. You would say Steve Jobs would have been up there in the tech industry and then Elon Musk. They would have been the two uh, guys, uh, the two people you would have mentioned. And he he hasn't completely blown it yet. He 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 still does have most of his reputation for the other things in tech. But yeah, my but it's God, but I, I don't know if you can have you can't separate them at this stage though, no. can you? I mean, you, like you said, he has made all these progresses with SpaceX and all that kind of stuff, and then. Twitter is just such a disaster mm. since the get-go, even since before he bought it. It I was know. just this disaster. It is like Christmas pun, the gift that keeps on giving. You know, we just, it's every single week and it's new, new I revelations know. every week. I know. I have genuine colleagues and friends who are leaving Twitter. Rick O'Shea from 2FM, who I know pretty well, he's been tweeting this week, he's leaving Twitter. And he, he said, it's not because Musk, he said, it's because of what you just said. It's because of the the angst, the anxiety, the attention car crashes. I won't leave Twitter for those reasons, but I know where he's coming from. We've talked about this on this podcast before about alternatives like LinkedIn, maybe Mastodon. There's another one called Post.News, which I'm starting to use uh, a little bit, although there's still a waiting list to get on to that. Um, but it's not good. Where do you go from here? Where do you like... I mean, is there just more to come? Are, are users leaving en masse, though? Is that a big part of it? Do you think? If we don't know because it's a private company now, so he doesn't have to reveal the metrics. He, he tweets out a few select graphs from time to time, claiming that, you know, during the World Cup, for example, there were more tweets about such and such a thing than ever before. But he's not showing any graphs or charts about daily active users, monthly active users. He's making some claims around them, but he's not providing any evidence, the kind that you would need if you were a publicly traded company. So we don't know is the short answer. But we do know that objectively, he has done a bad job as CEO so far in terms of managing advertisers in terms of managing Twitter's reputation. Um, objectively, he has done a bad job of that. So, you know, if I had to put my house on it, I would say it has probably has fewer users now than it did a few weeks ago. Anyway, enough about social media platforms wrecking your head. Now we're going to talk about 
a company that actually wants to drill into your head. MIT technology review writer Antonio Regalado. Welcome to the podcast. Antonio, could you explain what Neuralink and a brain-computer interface is? Hey, uh, sure I can. Uh, a brain-computer interface is basically uh, a set of electrodes that you can place inside an animal brain or even a human brain that reads the firing, you know, the electrical signals coming from neurons inside the brain. And that, and that, uh, those electrical signals contain information about like where you want to move your arm or what you're seeing. So a brain-computer interface can transmit those messages outside the brain. And in one application, um, someone who's paralyzed, even totally paralyzed, can use their brain to, con say, control a computer mouse directly from their head through this brain-computer interface. So is it like a chip? There, there is a chip in it. Actually, Neuralink uh, has a kind of pretty advanced, fancy-looking um, brain-computer interface. The electrodes are, are just these very thin wires that make electrical contacts. Mm. Uh, but then uh, these little wires, they feed into a tiny computer um, that Neuralink is placing sort of inside the skull, right below the skull. Mm -hmm. And inside, the inside that little computer, of course, are computer chips, and there's a chip to transmit the information wirely out of the brain. And how is this inserted into the brain? Ah, um, well, there's different types of brain-computer interfaces. One of Neuralink's innovations is something they call the neural sewing machine. Mm -hmm. The neural sewing machine. It's pretty crazy. It is. Uh, it looks like an old-fashioned hairdryer. Um, you know, the animal or the person like gets up inside this uh, <laughs> this kind of white bowl, um, and inside it uh, is a device that can stitch these electrodes into the brain. If you imagine a floppy, loose electrode. Mm -hmm. That would be hard to stick into brain tissue. And so the sewing machine part, just like the sewing machine inserts a loose uh, floppy thread you know, through a piece of material, mm. the sewing machine uh, threads the electrodes into the brain. And it's pretty sophisticated. Uh, they have a special camera that sort of images the brain and looks for the blood vessels so that the sewing machine can avoid it. And actually, Elon Musk uh, has said that his company, Neuralink, they imagine having their own Neuralink clinics where people would go in for a procedure and come out with a brain implant. Like an upgrade. Like an upgrade. Like an upgrade. Actually, he spends a lot of time talking about upgrades because the problem with an implanted device, you know, if it's Neuralink 1.0, well, what happens when there's Neuralink 2.0 or 3.0? It's a big question for them how they could upgrade this device. You know, you don't want to have an outdated uh, iPhone in your head. No, so I, I want an iPhone 14. I don't want an iPhone 12. Exactly, exactly. So uh, I think there's quite a bit of discussion about how this thing can be kept up to date and maybe parts can be switched out. I mean, what Elon Musk appears to be talking about, and as you alluded to earlier, is this idea of full body functionality. Um, and is one of the things that this is meant to address, you know, things like blindness or um, I've even heard discussion of treating conditions like schizophrenia? Right. I mean, Neuralink has said that the sky is the limit. I mean, they talk about, you know, downloading a, a French textbook into your head. Uh, they like the Matrix. Treating, yeah, right. They tr talk about treating schizophrenia. Kung Fu. Curing, curing blindness. It's and so on. I mean, these things are very exaggerated. Uh, in the future, it's hard to say that, you know, what's impossible, anything might be possible. 
in the near term, in the near term, the main applications are helping people with paralysis by giving them thought control over a computer cursor. I mean, you and I, we spend probably 12 hours a day on the computer. So it's important, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's important for someone to use a computer. Uh, and if you're totally paralyzed, it's quite difficult. Um, so this could be, you know, a nice application for paralyzed people. Just give them the ability to, you know, answer an email, to click on a video, um, and to enjoy the internet in that way. The other application that they're talking about that's much nearer term is an attempt to restore vision. Mm. And that that's not measuring things inside the brain. Um, it is sending information into the brain. Your visual cortex is on the back of your head. And if you put an implant there, you can stimulate uh, the cells in the visual cortex and it, it creates sort of little uh, bright spots that are called phosphenes. So if you create enough of these phosphenes, um, maybe 100, maybe 200 dots, you could create a kind of very crude pixelated display that someone who's totally blind and has never seen could actually use to, you know, make out the edges of objects, potentially see a letter. Uh, it's not normal vision. They talk about it as if it's restoring normal vision, but it's far from it. It's an incredible idea. And to be fair, it, it really could capture the imagination. Is it being taken seriously in the medical community? Uh, it is. Well, first of all, um, Neuralink, you know, it is run, uh, created by Elon Musk, uh, the world's richest person, um, a kind of exciting and notorious uh, technologist. So people are paying a lot of attention. But the idea of brain-computer interfaces and some of these applications are not new at all. They've been, uh, researchers have been exploring them for, you know, 20 years. Um, it has, the idea has advanced slowly. Uh, it's been advancing pretty slowly because the technology is difficult. There's never been much investment, partly because there's just not that many people who are going to benefit. So Elon Musk is kind of mixing it up uh, by, by saying that he wants to move it very fast. He's in a hurry. And of course, he's not just interested in helping uh, paralyzed people or blind people. He actually has the idea that eventually... Uh, you and I and everybody listening uh, to this show might uh, elect to get a voluntary brain implant um, to connect to computers more easily. And he himself, I think, has said that he is going to be one of the uh, the early volunteers, right? Right, right. And in, in each of their presentations, like occasionally every couple of years, Neuralink does an update presentation, which they did their latest uh, just last week. And he always uh, teases that, you know, if he had a Neuralink implant, you would never know. Uh, you would never know because it's it's fully implanted in the brain. You know, your skin is put back, the hair grows over it. You wouldn't know if he had it. So he's sort of teasing the public and maybe even teasing regulators a little bit, um, you know, that at any moment he could show up and actually have uh, this brain implant. I mean, that raises all sorts of fascinating ideas. Like, how do we know he hasn't had one already? How do we know he hasn't, you know, put one in with... Uh... Uh, a lack of empathy um, or the ability to uh, <laughs> to send emails to people firing them um, for silly reasons. <laughs> well, of course, you know, Elon Musk, uh, people say he's like a carnival barker. But I'll tell you what, uh, the company last week opened up a patient registry, okay? They're soliciting uh, patients, people with, you know, severe problems, uh, blindness, paralysis, to sign up. Uh, and get 
a chance to be early adopters of this Neuralink device. But you can kind of see uh, his approach to generating demand for eventual brain implants for everyone, right? You know, mm. only the select few get it at first. Uh, sign up for our waiting list. Um, you know, uh, maybe Elon Musk and a, and a few other influencers will get their brain implants and suddenly uh, everyone will need one. Yeah, I was asked last week when this story was being discussed um, quite a lot whether I would get one in the interest of journalism. And I couldn't really answer it, honestly, because on the one hand, super abilities, yes. On the other hand, hole being drilled in my head. Right, right. I think the super abilities uh, comment needs a little bit of analysis because what will it let you do? Actually, people are pretty good um, at communicating, operating computers, uh, you know, just in the usual way. Uh, you and I are journalists. You probably type really quickly. So do I. Uh, I think speech is generally recognized as the fastest way to communicate uh, with another person. So having this basically computer pointer that you can control with your mind, I don't think it would be that useful for you. Mm. Um, I don't think it would be that useful. Actually, they mentioned, you know, what do people actually want it for? People who are not ill. Uh, Mm -hmm. what, what, What would actually be the use of this computer interface? And the the most common answer is to play video games. Remembering keys. Yeah, just play video games. First shoot, first person shooter games. Like mm. that's what people want to do. They want to play video games, um, and it might be useful for that. Now there is a a few dark sides to this. I have read that Neuralink has come under some criticism for the way it tests this on animals, particularly monkeys, and there has been death recorded. Right. Right. Well, you know, in pharmaceutical research, in medical device research, uh, all, all these types of, uh, of studies rely on animals, um, sometimes large animals like sheep, pigs, and monkeys, all of which Neuralink mm. uses. Uh, just yesterday or the day before, Reuters came out with a story where they interviewed um, a number of people who had left the company, um, and they uh, learned that there's a kind of a federal investigation in the U.S., of uh, Neuralink's animal welfare uh, procedures uh, and processes. The claim is that because the company is in a big hurry, they've kind of cut corners and and more animals have been mm. hurt. More animals have been used. More animals have been had to be put to sleep uh, as a result, right? Mm. Um, I mean, if you're using animals, especially intelligent animals like pigs and monkeys especially, um, you know, there's a consideration you want to do your research, but you have to consider their, uh, their welfare as well. So brain computer interfaces, absolutely. The research depends on accessing brains. Um, and that is what Neuralink does. And finally, Elon Musk, as is his want is saying that all of this is going to start to roll out very quickly. He's now talking about, I think six months uh, you know, the middle of 2023. <laughs> How realistic do you think that is? He did say that uh, he expected his device to be tested in a human being within six months, pending approval by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Now, that approval may be forthcoming, and it may not. I don't think regulators are that excited to hear somebody uh, making jokes about whether they might have a brain implant, um, saying that it would be safe enough to give to his own child. You know, regulators are risk averse. The device is new. They don't want to have some 
a person get hurt by this surgery or by the device. So regulators, you know, they have every incentive to go uh, slowly. And Elon Musk has already missed his timelines. He said before that the company would be starting a clinical trial um, and and those timelines have, have slid. So what is the chance it actually happens in six months? It's possible, but it's also extremely possible that it gets delayed. Antonio Regalado, biotech reporter who writes in MIT's excellent uh, magazine, Technology Review. Thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast. And thanks also to Gav Hennessy, who was on sound, and Tabitha Monaghan, who produced. From me, Adrian Weckler, I'll talk to you the same time next week. Thank you.